Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to Enterprise Linux Security, where we're trying to get through this entire podcast without the YouTube channel being taken over because that's the new normal. How are you doing, Zhao? Well, a bit of some allergies, apparently. First time I ever had this. So yeah, apologies in advance if I start coughing or you hear me sniffling or something like that. That's not intentional, but it might happen. Um, yeah, what wasn't intentional either was somebody losing access to their YouTube channel and struggling a bit to get it back under control. I imagine that can be a pretty stressful situation, not being a YouTuber myself, but from my experience of working with you, I know it, how stressful it is to, to keep that working, right? It, it, there's a lot There's a lot to it. And then uh, this is literally why we retain the final rendered versions, the, the master copies, if you will, of every video, because if something like this happens and we have to, you know, let's just say YouTube gets worse and we have to move somewhere else, it's like I have the content, I could do it. And this is literally why, because we're always thinking about what would happen if this happened to us. And, and the thing is here, it's so easy to point the finger and say, bad tech person, you fell for the thing that we shouldn't be falling for here. But that's not what we're trying to do here because um, I feel like anybody can accidentally click something. I mean, there was a time where my I had something sitting on my desk and my mouse ran into it and clicked something. Thankfully, it wasn't bad, right? It could have been, you know, if I had my email up and I, I didn't even look at the email yet and I just, you know, hit the mouse again, something, it could happen. And I don't want to claim negligence or anything. I don't know the individual person, but let's get to the actual thing that happened. Uh, I'll summarize it. So um, basically I came into work, so to speak, I came downstairs, but I came into work. And then people within my YouTube circle were talking about Linus Tech Tips saying, you know, what's going on? I, I can't get to any video. Uh, and it seems like the channel is actually offline. And then right after they mentioned that, I looked on Twitter and the news and everyone's talking about Linus Tech Tips being down. So when it all, when, when it came out, what happened, it was a session cookie stealing attack, which is not new, it's not uncommon, but uh, apparently, or I should say allegedly, but I think this has been confirmed, if I'm not mistaken, that an individual opened an attachment thinking like, and these, these PDF attachments are whatever common because we talk to people um, when it comes to sponsorships, there could be some NDA to sign if it's like, we can't talk about it until a certain day. These types of things are common. Um, and for what I've heard, it could it hasn't happened to me, but there has been times where people will message back and forth for a number of weeks before they they get they send the payload out to gain trust. But then when someone clicks a attachment, which is what um, I read happened in this case, and there's a session cookie. Um, if the payload is to steal that session cookie, someone could take that session cookie and use your account because that session cookie is the result of the authentication process. And as we're going to talk about later, there's been some talk about, you know, proper 2FA. If Google didn't have this flaw, which we will talk about that flaw, this wouldn't have happened. And as we were talking before the show, we hit the record button, that's not true. 2FA mm -hmm. would not have solved this problem. Yeah. So that's the oversimplification of it. And now what we can do is talk about the finer details and then how that ties into the principle of least privilege. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I basically saw it that as it was happening, I, I still saw those 
those videos from the, the live stream supposedly with Elon Musk still on my feed when they were live when I tried to, to click them they immediately went private so I assume that was the time when Linus was trying to get the, the channel back under control um, but yeah like you mentioned apparently this was triggered by someone on his team accidentally or actually not accidentally clicking an email link that he believed was safe um, apparently under the guise of some proposal for collaboration or something like that there was a P an email that the, that person received and he clicked the, the PDF it didn't open but in the background apparently it did some jobs and one of those jobs uh, it was collecting the information on the browser profiles that were on the system including the session cookies that had been used and all the files in the profile and all of that um, when the, the channel was finally back under control and there was some time there, a few hours, something like that in, the, in between, um, Linus did put up a video where he explained basically what happened and how things went down. And right at the start of that video, he comes out and he says, yeah, multi-factor authentication is not impregnable. I'm quoting from the top of my head, might not have been the right word, but MFA is not the impregnable solution that sometimes it's touted to be. Um, and that's true, there's no magical bullet, there's no silver solution, no magical solution here to, to provide you 100% security, there never is. There are stuff that is better than others, but there is no magical solution. However, the session stealing token, uh, stealing a session token completely bypasses the multi-factor authentication. Basically, a session token is something that the server gives you that says, okay, you're authenticated. If you show me this again, I'll trust that you're still authenticated and I won't ask you for your credentials. Behind the scenes, this is what happens when you try to log into a website and you tick that box that says, keep me logged in on this device or on this browser or something like yep. that. So behind the scenes, the website and the browser communicate and they agree, okay, here is a session token that instead of requiring the, the authentication, the regular authentication process, I will just trust implicitly and allow the user in as if he had authenticated. This defeats multi-factor authentication. You might have the best multi-factor authentication in the world. If you're giving a backdoor to your website simply by showing the session token, then yeah, that's not an issue with multi-factor authentication. That's an issue on how the system and the, the entire solution is architected, basically. Um, yep. And that's apparently what happened here and how the, the hacker got in. And, and let's talk about like at a very low level, uh, just to kind of, you know, for anyone that might be beginners, uh, I'll give you an example of this that I used early in my career. Yes, I did a session cookie stealing attack against myself, apparently, and it just dawned on me today that this is what I used to do when I first started. But, you know, I would have Firefox logged into all of my stuff. Um, and again, this is when I first started. I don't do this now. But what I would do if I get a new computer or I'm migrating is I would just go into my home directory, you know, as I'm sure many people have done, and grab the Firefox profile folder, rsync it over to the other computer. And then when I open Firefox, Fox on the other computer, I'm logged in to everything. Now it's not quite that easy now, but you could still do this. But that's what, I mean, at, that, at the time I'm first starting, I'm like, do I wanna sign into anything? 
or everything? No, I, I'll just copy the profile. And, and sure enough, my email is logged in, um, calendar is logged in, like Reddit, everything is logged in because that profile contains that information. So when I said at the beginning that the session token is the result of the authentication process, that is the most important thing to remember here because um, that also implies that session cookie is created after the 2FA or MFA process has concluded. So the, the threat actor is getting a hold of the result of a completed authentication set, uh, request. And that's how they were able to do what they did. Again, no specific flaw of multi-factor authentication itself, just the flaw of how the system is conceived. And you might argue it's not even a flaw, it's just a, a convenience feature that is added to a system. Um, other, um, instead of having to go through this process of entering your credentials and looking up your two-factor and all of that, I trust that from now on, you're you and you're using your computer and nobody else is using your system, so you're trusted implicitly. Mm -hmm. There are actually two sides to them to a session token. There is the cookie that gets created on your website, on sorry, on your device, and it's the thing that was stolen here. And there's the other part of the session token that is stored on the web server side. So at any point, the web server might invalidate their end, and then you're forced to re to reauthenticate on yours. And that's when you see the login prompt again, and when you have to enter your multi-factor authentication again. And there are many ways to make this more secure and less convenient. You can, for example, as we discussed before we started the recording, you can add IP information to the session ID. So on the web server, together with your session token, with the half that stays on the, the web server, you can say that, okay, this is only valid if it comes from this specific IP address. But then you're gonna log out all the mobile users, everybody with dynamic IP, which is everybody basically, um, anybody that's traveling and taking their laptop. So the, the trade-off there from convenience to security, as always, it's going to fall on the side of convenience or the users are going to complain. And big websites like YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and whatever, they want to make the your interactions with the system as smooth as possible. They don't want to create any friction points. If they have to show you the login page, they're delaying your stay on the website and on the platform. And that's less ad time that you're going to have, that's less interactions that you're going to have, that's less content that you're going to see, and that's exactly the opposite the opposite of what they're trying to achieve um, yep one example and Linus also mentioned this um, the banks on the other hand have a rather strict policy around this if you're using home banking for example it's very likely that your session token will never last beyond closing your browser or just a few minutes of inactivity um, and that's because on the server side, they will close down that uh, that session token. They will forget that session token ever existed. So even if you present one to the, to the site, it will not accept it. Um, again, convenience versus security. It's the, the right. old argument. It's valid here as it is on every other security discussion. Yeah, and that, that doesn't just, that conversation about convenience um, doesn't end here because being, Within, I actually have been in the room at multiple companies where, where people are planning features uh, about their product, whatever it is that's being developed. And the cost of support always comes up from the upper managers um, because it's, it's easy to say, 
the IT security team at Company X or Acme or whatever it is should have enabled this. And I'm going to complain myself, believe me, before the end of this podcast. I'm, I'm not above that. But um, the, the issue is that the conversation goes where, yes, we need to do this, we need to do that. It could be a security person um, that that is you know, bringing up some very good points. And then, but the thing is the security person doesn't own the company. And then the upper management team is like, yeah, we could do that, but if we do, we're going to get more calls in customer service. We're going to have to hire more people, which I don't see think as a problem. I like people. I'd like to hire more people. That doesn't seem like a problem to me. But um, to them, it's it's a balance of being able to handle the calls. And if we um, implement the security measure, we'll get more people calling in, if, and that's going to delay everything. Um, in, in my opinion. Um, it yeah, it's expensive to hire support people, but you know what's more expensive? What's more expensive is becoming the next Equifax and your entire company's reputation going down the drain. That's very, very much worse. And I think that's uh, the something that should be considered here because if, and I'm not saying anything has of this has to do with YouTube. This is just a general thing. YouTube is not on the news as the next Equifax, obviously, but um, that's the balance that, um, that co- convenience versus security thing on a whole new level, like upgraded times 10. And that that's what we deal with um, when it comes to upper management, which is a horrible thing. As you say, the, this type of decisions of making things easier for the users or something like that, that is often pushed from above. Um, that is often forced as a business decision, as something that needs to increase engagement or improve interactions or whatever. Um, it's not the security team that's going to suggest that we reduce the security level that we have. They will always try to push for more security. That's just how things work. Um, but yeah, in this specific case, even though multi-factor authentication has been thrown in the mix here, it's not multi-factor authentication's fault or flaw or issue with multi-factor authentication that caused this. It's the way that it's implemented that provides a way around multi-factor authentication that's the issue. Um, there are other issues on the on the whole process. There are there were other problems with the whole process that um, that Linus raised and might be relevant or not. I'm not again um, I do the podcast with you. We've been through 60 episodes now. This is 61 but I never consider myself to be a YouTuber or a content creator or anything like that. So I don't have the experience of working with the actual back end of the platform like you do, for example. Um, right. There is this content manager system. I don't know if this is embedded in YouTube or if this is a third party software that he says he has used. Um, but basically the way that they use it there from what I could gather from his explanation is that they are giving access to the channel to multiple people inside of their organization and apparently it provides them with the ability to distribute privileges among among different accounts with access to the same channel. Um, f- he didn't come out and say it, but from the face he pulled when he explained it, apparently all the accounts that were being used on Content Manager had the, the privileges to cause problems. So there was no principle of least privilege being applied here. Everybody had access and the access was of a kind that gave you more permissions than you probably would have needed for your job. Um, so when somebody with access true content manager system got in he was able to create new streams and change the, the stream keys and 
again lock everybody out and all of these different things um, the thing is if you're using this system in this way you're defeating its purpose again working against the features that you have um, you're supposed to be reducing the level of privilege that you give to other people not just making everybody admin at the same time so that's just going to give you more vectors for attack rather than reducing the exposure of your content Complete agreement again, um, and I think I'll I'll talk a little bit about two FA MFA um, here, just in a general sense, because I just want to piggyback off of this. Um, because even though everything you said is true, it is the case that um, having a you know two FA setup did come up in this conversation, you know, with other people. Um, so why is this coming up in conversation if it has nothing to do with this um, attack? And here's why: because when someone looks at this situation, they're going to find flaws in implementation when it comes to 2FA. Because just because the technology is good doesn't mean that its implementation is good. Just in the, much in the same way we can have a, a Linux distribution in use that's the considered the most secure of all of them. I, if you set the password to ABC123, you have completely ruined any security benefit of that product right then and there. And it's not the fault of the product, it's, you know, that is what it is. Um, so we, we have to think about that. Um, when I log into a system and I'm going to grab my security key and I do that and that's how I do it, I will notice often a button that says, I forgot my security key. And sometimes I would click on it, not because I actually forgot it, but because I want to know how easy this is. And then in some cases, I'll see a button that says text via SMS, a code to your phone. Okay, so if I was a threat actor and I didn't have my security token, which, you know, a threat actor wouldn't have unless I handed it to him or it fell off the back of a truck in the same way as ChatGPT, <laughs> then, um, you know, in that sense, it, it's like they don't need the security token to get in the account if they have that session token. But at the same time, um, they could just click the button like I did that says, I forgot my security token, even though the truth is they never had it in the first place. And then if they do a SIM swapping attack, they have my account and 2FA will not help. And I'm not saying any of this has to do with YouTube. My point is um, I have seen many implementations of 2FA that in my opinion, um, devalue its purpose. And then what that does is for people who don't care about technology, their mindset might be, hey, you tech guys told me that 2FA was going to protect me, and here it's not protecting this individual or that company. They're not going to think about it in terms of implementation. They're going to think about it like, yeah, maybe this isn't as good as everyone made it out to be, and then they're going to care about our opinion even less. So I kind of feel like there is an implementation problem that needs to be solved, but we're not going to solve that in this podcast, so I'm going to stop that conversation right here and bring it back to our main topic, which is the fact that 2FA would not have helped because it's a session token. And in this case, it allowed, like you said, someone to get into the account, and if uh, this principal least privilege was adequately used. Sure, there could have been another attack vector all the same, but this one in particular would not have been the go-to if that had been in place. It's the difference between compromising a regular user account on a Linux system and compromising root. Um, you're limited in the scope of what you can achieve and the harm that you can cause to the system and to the other users. Um, but again, <laughs> You might have the best security in the world, the best security system in the world, the best alarm system, whatever. 
the users will defeat it. Um, if you don't use it properly, if you don't uh, use the, the features that you're given or if your the features that you built into your system properly, the way that they are intended to, if you work around them, then yeah, you can still complain that it doesn't work like it was supposed to, but you didn't interact with it either like it was supposed like you were supposed to. Um, he does get into some other details. Um, he gets into some multiple things that he tried to do that uh, he w didn't know how or was too complicated to get to do or just stuff that uh, Google should be asking for authentication, like changing the channel name, like changing the logo, like, um, I don't know, deleting hundreds of videos at the same time, you might get a prompt about that or might, hey, is it really you? Are you really wanting to do this? Maybe you should authenticate again. And that's all true. Those are all situations that probably should have triggered something, some form of re-authentication again. On the other hand, there's the, you shouldn't give access to all those people as if they were admins to the channel either. So they wouldn't have been able to start those operations if they didn't have the, the permissions to do so. Um, both sides of the coin here on this. And also auditing user permissions when they change roles, especially in, you know, I don't have any contractors myself, but, you know, many YouTubers do. And remembering to, you know, deactivate the accounts if that individual isn't helping you anymore. Um, if it's someone that you employ and they change roles, changing the roles. But in the, you know, when it all comes down to it, give them the least privilege. And that sounds easy. And it is easy to implement, but it, enforcing it and auditing it is where the challenge comes in, I think. And that's often what someone doesn't do. So I don't understand why the individual would have had full access to the channel. I mean, in my case, I gave access temporarily to the channel one time, and it was just because I was curious about comments, and I gave that person um, read and write access to read comments and reply. Um, and that's it. Like, you know, of course there's check boxes, you know, you could be, you could be in this role and that role, have this permission or that permission. But my mindset of course was like, if that account got compromised, then the threat actor would have easy access to make snide comments, which already happens on YouTube, <laughs> even without a threat actor. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I felt like the exposure was very minimal. And then when the, when that, uh, you know, two or three day thing was done, I deactivated the account. Um, so, but that's just my mindset. But again, if that attack vector wasn't used, something else could have been. But the when it comes to YouTube, I could give you some, you know, general insight without going too into detail. The security measures that you have access to depend on whether or not your YouTube channel is attached to a personal Google account or a Google Workspace or whatever they're calling it these days, Google Apps, Google Workspace. Um, if you have Google Workspace, which you know you have to pay for, it's not that expensive, but um, at that point you have more security controls and apparently there might be a way to write a script to uh, force every user out of the system um, but if you have one user that you contract, that's easy. Just revoke that one user. But if you are like Linus and you have a company that's that large, you probably have a number of people that are doing this or that. And that beco becomes a full-time job managing that. But it does need to be managed. It can't be left, um, you know, just on its own defenses because that's going to weaken your defenses. Yeah. This is actually something that, um, that enterprises, as they start to grow, they start to feel the need. Um which is centralized identity and identity management. 
when you have several different systems where your users have accounts on and they have different privilege levels on the different systems, you need to have a centralized way to control that. What you just said about forgetting to delete an account or remove an account when somebody leaves the company or something like that or stops working for you um, is exactly why you need the centralized identity management system. Um, yep. You need to have a, a single place where you do those operations because uh, if you don't, you're going to have to go through each of the individual systems where you have logins, where you have accounts created, where you have permission issues, and you're going to have to spend time on every single one of them, fixing whatever needs to be fixed, removing whatever needs to be removed each time there is a change in personnel. And that just becomes unmanageable pretty quickly. Either because you start growing and you start having more people working for you, or you start having more systems, or the complexity of the systems gets larger. Um, I don't know if YouTube integrates with stuff like, say, OpenLDAP or Active Directory or something something of the kind. Google Workspaces does integrate with that, so might get some access through there. But if you do not have that type of centralized identity management of centralized control over your permissions, then I can easily understand why it's probably just easier to, okay, you have full access now, do, deal with that. And if you leave, I'll just go and kill the account. Rather than going through each individual user, you have this box for permissions and this and this and this and this, but not the other two that are here. Um, it's just the amount of work involved with managing all of that. It's completely different if you're having to do that by system, by user. A complete agreement. I, I'll also say too that um, there are some situations where centralized login is not going to help on account of the implementation layer, depending on the um, you know central access system you're using. Um, when it comes to single sign-on, for example, I once managed Okta, and it was helpful because it was you know it was that. But then what would happen is when a user was deactivated, that would also deactivate them in all the services that they had access to, except for some. Some of them, when you implement into a solution like that, will have um, implementation for creating accounts. So if you create accounts, you could give access to this app and this app, and that works. But then when it comes to deactivating, some of them don't deactivate well. And I would uh, see an email, and I think this is you know one way to handle it. This was default. Um, at least back then, um, if I deactivated a user, Okta would send me an email and, and confirm the user was deactivated. But then it would list, you know, a couple apps it, that Okta can't disable the user in, which would be another action item. I, you need to action that email. It's literally telling you it wasn't able to delete the account on these. And one of them at the time was LastPass. So imagine for a minute you have LastPass. You look at your your SSO solution. You're like, does it support LastPass? And it says, yes, LastPass is supported. But the truth is, it's supported in the sense that you could put an icon and you, people can click on it, but there's no back and forth synchronization with LastPass. Yeah. So if I didn't action that email, then everybody would always have access to LastPass if I didn't go in and delete them. So these are the things that IT administrators run into where even a solution that fixes most of the problem still has some edge cases you have to keep an eye on. Yeah. <laughs> Again, <laughs> LastPass, that seems to come up like every other week. Um, and this was back when they had no no problems at all. Like at this point, oh, they the weren't yet not were in the there, news. They just weren't aware of them yet. <laughs> 
True, true. <laughs> that is a very good point. They, they weren't as popular for the wrong yeah. reasons at the time, but they, they were implemented well into the solution. And who knows, maybe they fixed that later. But I would um, always, as a manager, I would, I would also have these emails and I would come back and I would be asking and checking, did, did this get actioned? That, did that get actioned? Is that user out of the system? You know, please check. I'll double check myself. But that, you know, that's what you have to do. And if you're not doing that, then there, there's always a possibility strongly more than ever, you could have something left hanging open that you're not aware of. But at least you had the reminder telling you, hey, you need to look here and here and here. If you don't at least have that list that pops up, hey, this user is disabled on these systems, but it's still active here, then you're going to go have to go through the motions and go through all of them. And again, right. depending on how many, depending on how many users, it takes a lot of time, a lot of effort to do that manually. Um, yes. Trying to automate that might work if you don't change your environment too much. But when you deploy a new system, you need to remember to also change your automation scripts to cover for that. Adding users, changing permissions, removing users, changing roles, all of those things have to be accounted for. Um, that said, there is something else on the, um, on the Linus uh, video that uh, I believe is worth mentioning here. Um, he did come out and say that he was struggling with uh, doing basic things when he tried to, to regain control of the of the channel. Um, mm -hmm. We've talked about disaster recovery plans in the past here, and when your business revolves around managing a YouTube channel or a series of YouTube channels, part of your of your disaster recovery plan should include how to deal with situations like this. Um, for example, the account creation process from creation to deletion, to deletion should be documented. The last thing you want is that when the proverbial thing hits the fan, you do not want to waste time trying to look up the instructions on how to stop your account from working or if mm -hmm. to limit the damages, how to kill your account entirely and work it out with support later. Um, but you need to have that process documented. You need to have a file ready to look up when you need, you have either on print or on your system somewhere that you can just pop up and look, okay, this is how I create an account again. This is how I kill an account. This is how I block access to it. This is how I restrict everybody else from entering. And you need the steps there because in the crisis mode, when everybody's pressuring you, when your livelihood is at stake there, when people's jobs are on the line, because if you can't get your channel back online again, you stop getting ad revenue and you'll still have to pay to make to make payroll at the end of the month. Um, mm -hmm. That's not the moment that you need to be struggling with basic stuff like account creation and account deletion. Um, yeah. So if that's the situation, disaster recovery isn't just about getting your systems back up again. It isn't just about making sure that your backups work. It's detailing the processes right. that make your, your business work. And that information needs to be in your disaster recovery plan as well. Um, there's not many other things in a YouTube content creator situation that better get the name of disaster. So it should apply there. If you lose control to, mm -hmm. from your stuff, that's a disaster and you need to recover from it. That should be in the, in the disaster recovery plan. Another thing too, and this is very specific to YouTube, but I think the mindset could be applied to other things. You have to understand what the account recovery process is like for anything that you might need to recover someday. 
Um, sometimes it's just a matter of the security questions or whatever, um, you know, really not helpful thing that they have when it comes to um, regaining accounts, because I hate security questions. I don't think that's a good idea, a different subject. But um, in the case of YouTube, um, another YouTuber recommended this, and I do agree with this. They, they said, what you should do is print the Google account recovery form. Don't fill it out. Don't pretend like you actually forgot your account, but at least print it because you'll know everything that you might be asked for. And the problem is if your account is taken over, you might actually lose some of the answers to those questions because some things you just don't remember off the top of your head. I don't remember the day that my YouTube channel started, but I will be asked for that if I need to recover my account. And, and I need to write that down. And there's a number of other questions and these things are not um, things that you might know off the top of your head. And if you are trying to recover your account and you can't tell the person the day you started your YouTube account, the only thing they're going to think is that's suspicious. Even though it is a good chance that people generally don't remember that, um, they're going to read it as you aren't qualifying for me to believe you on this and I'm not going to be giving you your access back even if you are actually the person that um, should have that access. So just understand what the account recovery process is like because you don't want to have to navigate that when you're trying to recover the account. I, if it happened to me, God forbid, I'd like to have that print out with everything written in pen that I keep in a safe with all the answers on there so I could read that back to the person trying to help me and make their job easier and also make my um, efforts regaining access easier as well yeah absolutely again so, recovery plans it's not just getting systems back it's the processes as well um another thing that was interesting in this story and and this will tie into our conversation from the last episode around ai what you were still talking about before when you made that joking comment about ChatGPT, one of the things that we mentioned in the last episode um, was that, uh, yeah, companies were struggling with uh, using ChatGPT because it was in the cloud and you were uploading your data and all of that and companies did not want to do that. And I remember mentioning that, uh, yeah, we might see some locally deployable instances and all of that. And that happened this week. You can now deploy uh, ChatGPT instance on-premises and um, there's a GitHub rep repository for this. It's chat for all, I believe, with the four being a number. Um, there's lots of Twitter threads around this already. And the person who, who put that up uh, came up with the, the language model as well. And his reply to one of the tweets on how he got the model was, uh, it was on a USB pen that fell off the back of a truck. So yeah, so that was on your reply before. Why, why I mentioned this is because one of the reasons why the, this attack against Linus worked was because the, the email that they received had no grammatical mistakes. And that's one of the things that we mentioned is now a risk with stuff like ChatGPT. You no longer have those telltale signs that an email might be malicious or might be fake or something like that because it will be written in perfect English. There will be no grammatical mistakes. There will be no obvious signs that it's somebody struggling with the language. So an attacker no longer has to jump to hoops to get that perfectly written email that might trick somebody. And again, this was the case. The email that they received with that business proposal or whatever it was, was perfectly written. So the person who clicked the, the attachment never doubted that it was. So, yeah. Right. I, I was just going to say, too, that um, I don't think a single thing that we talk about is final. 
I think everything is evolving. And this is, we're talking about how account, YouTube accounts are taken over right now. Um, tomorrow, they might be taken over a completely different way. And everything always evolves and gets worse. Nothing gets better in security. And I'm going to underscore that. Nothing gets better. Everything gets worse. And the way that I unfortunately see this playing out is that it's only a matter of time before you have a ransomware version of a YouTube account takeover. You know, give us X number of dollars or Bitcoin or whatever it is if you want your YouTube account back. Um, you, you, you better bet that that's probably the direction that it's going to eventually go. And then unprepared companies who don't have a way to get in, maybe they can't answer those questions, would probably pay it. If they think that's going to be fruitful, they'll do it tomorrow. Um, so this everything we talk about is only the beginning. And I'm not necessarily saying this to scare people. It's just you have to understand that security is ever evolving. And every time we report on something, we're reporting on the current iteration of it as it stands as a recording time. But then next week, we could find another attack vector for all we know. So just keep in mind, you have to always be thinking about what could happen next. Not, you know, obviously we're not fortune tellers, but we do have to understand that when we talk about something, it's not the only way it's ever going to be. It's going to evolve, just like technology evolves and features and things come out. Um, the, the security is the same way. They have features too. We just don't want those features, unfortunately. <laughs> you know um, what you're mentioning about the ransomware for for the content. That probably is already a thing. Um, the thing is that with YouTube, for example, you have this recourse channel where you can get in touch with support and try to get them to reinstate your access and get you back your your website your channel if that fails you're left with a position where your your livelihood is here it's worth about this and are you willing to pay this amount to get back your livelihood or not um, that's how all the ransomware works they know more or less how much money the company has they'll ask for a percentage of that to continue in business to get back doing the, the regular activities and usually companies will struggle with making that decision and sometimes they will pay um, with content creation it's exactly the same thing if YouTube support will not help you getting back your channel what's left for you to do? You either start a new channel with zero followers, and that's probably a death sentence for a YouTube content creator, or you're gonna have to pay something. Um, so it depends a lot on the value that you put on that or not. But this has worked, this type of attacks have worked well with enterprise, so it's just a matter of time until it starts working with content creation. We also have to keep in mind, I don't know you know, how true this is with Linus. So I'm, I'm assuming it is, but I don't want to base on assumptions here. But what is the case, if we take Linus out of the equation, but let's just say any other YouTuber that's as big as he is, when you get to that point, you, you know some names at YouTube. You have names. You have email addresses. You at least have a contact at that level, okay? Um, a channel like mine, um, which, you know, I think is doing fairly well, it's not Linus Tech Tips, let's be honest. I don't have that subscriber count. So if this thing happened to me, I do feel like people at my level are going to have a harder time than someone like Linus would have. Uh, or Mr. Beast would have, or any of these other big names, they're going to get some attention because they move a lot of uh, views and engagement on YouTube. They're going to get that attention. Uh, the Linux guy may may not get that much attention, let's be honest. <laughs> you know that was, that was something that he said that came out through, through the feedback to this, was that 
yeah, some people were complaining that he managed to solve his situation in less than one day, and for most people that would take days or weeks at least until they saw a solution. Again, business needs. He pulls up much more ad money than smaller channels, so capitalism at its best, I guess. I mean, that is the case. And being on the inside of working with management and tech companies, that those conversations do come up without giving too much away or throwing any company or people under the bus. I'll just say there's been many conversations that I have heard or been experienced or or was in where someone in the upper level is like, yeah, we could really fix that account. But the amount of attention and time it's going to take is not worth the amount of money we're getting back. And you'll never hear these conversations in public unless someone has a recording. But that's that's how these conversations go. So you better bet that popularity absolutely falls into the um, how much support you're going to get. Because that's just the reality, unfortunately. I don't unfortunately. like it, but it is true. Unfortunately, right. yeah. Yeah. So that that's why... We need to always make sure we put a lot of attention to detail on principle of least privilege because I, even though I don't currently have contractors of my own, eventually I hope to have that. And I have to be mindful that they have access to only the things they need. I would argue that at this point, I'm not giving anyone access to YouTube. They, they can, we could use sneaker net for all I care. You can mail the video files to my home in a UPS package and I will upload them um, that way before I give anyone access. But I also understand an account as big as Linus. It's easy for me to say, right? But for him, is Linus going to be the one working on all these uploads? No. Of course not. It's just not the way it works. There's going to be people that are doing it and there's going to be someone employed for security and all these different things, whatever the job roles are that make decisions. And at the end of the day, like we always say, the weakest link will get you every single time. doesn't matter how big or small you are. You are the weakest link yourself or someone else is. (laughs) Absolutely. So as we've said repeatedly in the past, the the human factor here is always the weakest link Um, and it will continue to be. Hopefully this is a learning experience for him and for everybody who watched this from the sidelines like we did, but what happened to him could have happened easily to anybody else, basically. Um, And it has. It just didn't get any news because they weren't big enough. This absolutely happens to uh, all the time, Um, unfortunately. There there was a... Um, I can't remember what Linux channel it was. There was a Linux channel that um, had had an issue once. So, um, unfortunately, we have to be on our guard all the time. Just the way it is. Yep. Well, I guess we've covered the what we wanted to cover on this one. Um, if you have people working for you, even if it's not YouTube related, if you have stuff that requires different le- levels of privilege, don't just make anybody admin. Uh, do go through the motions and set up adequate privileges for everybody or else compromising one of those accounts, say the guy that goes and gets the logs, if he has root access, if that account gets compromised, it's a complete takeover and it doesn't have to be. So yeah, least privilege would have helped. It sure would have. I mean, I'll have to say the last thing I'll mention is that running everything in incognito mode is looking more and more attractive because at that point, just logging in to YouTube in incognito mode, closing that browser, killing the Firefox process when I'm done, um, at some point that's probably going to be what I end up doing because at the end of the day, I don't even want a session at this point because it's causing more harm than good. But then again, 
you know, convenience over security. And a lot of people would disagree with me. They don't want to deal with that. It is what it is. Um, take the risk or don't. I prefer not to. So that's our topic, I guess. <laughs> I guess so. so. Just there you go. think carefully before ticking that keep me logged in box. Um, yep. Yeah, that was our episode for today. We hope you enjoyed it. And until the next one. Thanks, everybody. Bye. See you soon.